Hey, we're in Nehemiah chapter 12. We're coming up on the dedication of the wall. That's gonna be our sermon for this weekend. But now as we've dusted off the scrolls and revived the practices that were prescribed by God through King David, the text continues in verse 25. This included Mataniah, Bakbukiah, and Obadiah. Does that sound familiar? Meshulam, Talman, and Achub were gatekeepers who guarded the storerooms at the city gates. These served in the days of Joachim, son of Jeshua, son of Jozadak, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe. So Nehemiah is that governor, and Ezra is his bro. When we look at the events of Ezra and Nehemiah, I believe they were contemporary one to another. Now that, that's relevant because as we come to the final chapter next week, you're gonna see some differences between what Ezra describes and what Nehemiah describes. I believe they were concurrent with one another, and we'll, we'll delve into that in, in greater detail. But it also, it also is totally possible that Ezra happened first and then Nehemiah, or vice versa. I believe they were largely contemporary uh, to one another. But these storerooms, there's gonna be some compromise here. There's gonna be some, and not, not the good kind of compromise, the bad kind. You're gonna see that some of these storerooms reserved in the temple are gonna be sabotaged. One of the same enemies that was trying to sabotage the, the whole project the whole time, Tobiah, is gonna to have one of these storerooms in the temple actually reserved for himself. And when Nehemiah comes back into town, he's gonna to have to kick this guy out and empty out his uh, empty out his storeroom and have the room ceremonially cleansed. It sounds awesome to have these gatekeepers and storerooms at the city gates and to see that they're gonna be used in the days of Joachim, son of Jeshua, son of Jezedek, in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe. It sounds awesome, but spoiler, it's never quite perfect and it won't be the side of heaven. Uh, neither will the revival project. Okay, did I just spoil the whole thing for you? It, nothing's gonna be perfect this side of heaven. Even this building campaign was not perfect this side of heaven. So we, we manage expectations. We're aware of the fact that we're gonna face opposition. We're gonna face trial. We're gonna face immense difficulty. But isn't that what makes the story? Isn't that what makes it all worthwhile? This weekend, I can't wait to tell you, tell you a story. I got, I got some more to, to share with you about this, but I wanna pray with you right now. If you're, if you're in the midst of having shattered expectations, because if you go through this catalog of chapter 12, it's like, wow, man, everything is neat and in order. I just took my car to the shop and they said it's firing on all cylinders. And that means that I'm not gonna have any headwinds as I try to pursue what God has for my life. Like everything's gonna be great and everybody, everybody around me is gonna act with perfect integrity and nothing's ever gonna go wrong, right? I've been there before, I've thought that before and I've been utterly let down by people who lacked integrity. And I've also been the guy who's been boneheaded enough to make some stupid mistakes, my own stupid self. So I can tell you firsthand <laughs> that if you've got this clear expectation at the end of chapter 12, going into the dedication of the wall, utterly ignorant of chapter 13, that it's easy to have false expectations. And if you're on the other side of having those expectations utterly shattered, now what? We set our eyes on heaven. This earthly city that was rebuilt is but a shadow and a reflection of what was truly to be built. When we get to the Gospel of Matthew, we're gonna delve into this further. Uh, and when we get deeper into 2 Corinthians, you're gonna see some allusions to this as well. It was never about the physical building itself. It was always an earthly reflection of a greater, truer spiritual reality. All of this was pointing forward and setting Jesus up for a profound teaching in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 24. This earthly physical temple that was built and then destroyed and then rebuilt by Zerubbabel, 
just a few decades before everything happened with Nehemiah, but ultimately get ransacked again in the year 70. And then once again, Israel would be scattered. And it wouldn't be until 1948, for crying out loud. That's not that long ago that they'd be reconvened. I mean, you realize that, like 1948, there are, there are millions of people alive on the earth who were alive back in 1948, right now. This is, this is how these stories go, this side of heaven. So let's pray, let's pray. God, everything looks so good in chapter 12. And it looks like everything is in order. And we can see these names of people who are gonna be influential and are gonna bless us later in the text. And we can see the groundwork being laid for the teachings of Jesus. But Lord, for those who have never finished reading the book of Nehemiah, they don't know what is to come. Uh, would you help us to set our eyes on heaven above? Because on earth, people can break in and steal stuff no matter how well we build it. Moth and rust destroy. It's subject to entropy. It is groaning like the rest of fallen creation, longing to be clothed with immortality, longing to be redeemed forevermore. So God, would you, in the midst of our waiting, manage our expectations, let our expectations for perfection abide exclusively with you and heaven above, and let us show grace in the meantime, and let us repent where we fall short in the meantime. I thank you, Lord, for perfect plans, but Lord, we give you all the glory and credit for perfection itself. In the meantime, let us show grace where imperfections abound. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.